sort of a deflationary phenomenon again. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to this Wednesday's edition of Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Concerns over China and Greece sparked a global equity sell-off, but the S&P 500 was little changed thanks to a rally in tech and energy stocks. China is set to cut its economic growth target for next year to 7%. Today on Money for Nothing, we'll take a closer look at why Hong Kong isn't tracking the unprecedented surge in trading volume in Shanghai. Our guest on this segment will be Howie, uh, Fraser Howie of New Edge Financial. Next, we're joined by Marcus Killick to discuss opportunities in the Gibraltar Stock Exchange. Excuse me, that's not Marcus Killick. It's Marcus Walrob, who is the director and the co-founder of the Gibraltar Stock Exchange. And in our industry segment, we'll take a look at the rising demand for data storage centers in Asia. And for that discussion, we're joined by Alex Tam, the managing director of Equinix. And along with us for the full half hour as guest host is Stuart Aldcroft, Senior Advisor at City Investor Services. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Renita. So I'm excited to hear about Gibraltar. That's uh, definitely a new there? one for us. Have you been there? I haven't, but Nor I think... Have I, actually. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it's worth a visit. Yeah, I think, uh, well, we'll be listening and then uh, uh, even more ready to go. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a look at uh, today's top stories. Shares in the U.S. and Europe have followed the sharp correction seen in Asia yesterday over a host of concerns about the global economy. There are renewed concerns about growth in China and the Greek economy, while the price of oil has hit a new five-year low, cl- close to $65 a barrel. Here's the BBC's Michelle Fleury in New York. Well, yes, it was definitely a wild day for for investors. The Dow dropped roughly about 220 points earlier in the day before it actually recovered to finish down around 51 points. Now, what sparked this wild ride, if you like, uh, was a couple of things. One was concerns about the price of oil, which continued to fall. The other is word of early elections in Greece. Uh, Now, if you look at what happened in Greece, the index there fell really sharply. Uh, That also had a knock-on effect across the rest of the continent. You saw European indexes affected by that. So in Germany, for example, the DAX index was also down. All of this concerns about what will happen to to Greece, whether it will honour the terms of its bailout programme, because of course it's still uh, deeply indebted. But it wasn't just Greece that moved the markets. Earlier, China tightened lending rules, which would add the economic slow to add to the economic slowdown which is already underway the oil prices uh have dropped as a weaker global demand prefer, would undermine excuse me the weaker global performance would undermine demand for energy here's uh, ubs's art cashin with his view on the activity in the markets china was an important factor they were down uh, 5.4 percent that's equivalent to uh, 900 points in the dow so it was a sudden shock They had been lifting. They changed the collateral. They made it harder um, to borrow against certain types of collateral. Uh, And then Greece called for a special election. They're down nearly 13 percent, a whopping number. Uh, So you've had all of the markets slightly vulnerable. You have very positive seasonals at the end of the year, but this particular week is the least strongest. So you were a little overbought. You have some uh, concerns about markets outside the United States, 
And I think that combination is there. Mainland company shares traded in Hong Kong have tumbled by the most in three years yesterday following a bloodbath in the mainland market. The Shanghai Composite Index suffered its biggest fall in five years, plunging 5.4% to 2,856. That sent uh, mainland company shares here down 4.6%, the biggest fall since November 2011. The Hang Seng Index ended 2.3% down at 23,485. But Ben Kuang from KGI Asia said that people shouldn't be too worried about the sell-off. It's pretty much a, a normal correction after the recent strong value because the overseas market like the uh, Wall Street, uh, also the, the Dow Jones also experienced some sort of a profit-taking. And also the Hong Kong market very recently just driven by very strong performance of those Asians. But Asians after the recent rise has already technically uh, heavily overbought. So uh, the uh, declines of the oil prices and continuing weakness of the Chinese economy also aroused some sort of the concern about the global economic slowdown. And that all this provides an excuse for a timely correction. Stuart, do you agree with Ben Kuang uh, in that this sell-off is nothing much to worry about? I do, I, I do. Uh, and I thought that, um, you know, your, your earlier report from the BBC um, was also a fairly accurate um, picture of what's going on around the world. I like the words of Robert Peston, actually, of the BBC, who's the economics editor there, who was summed up this morning by saying that most of the, what's happened in the last few days has been, trouble, has been caused by government words, not by economic movements. And, and that means that probably the fundamentals are still in place in most markets. So this is interesting then. I mean, for the longest time, we were seeing this rally in the markets, uh, you know, despite the overall sort of gloomy picture in China, fears of slowdown, so on and so forth. Um, but we were seeing this rally. So now you're saying, however, the markets are indeed affected by the government's words. Indeed, yeah, they are being affected by the government words. The, the rally has occurred. And of course, after you have a fairly sharp rise, as we saw in China, you would expect to see some sort of minor correction. Well, 5% is hardly minor, but it is a correction. All right, let's bring in Fraser Howie. He's the senior director at New Edge Financial. Good morning, Fraser. So, Fraser, everybody has been so bullish on Shanghai, uh, despite the weakness in the economy. The question is, with these government words and uh, the markets being moved this way, is reality now setting in? Well, I think the difficulty is, and I, I wouldn't be so sanguine about a 5% fall, but it's certainly not unsurprising when you've had a market go up 20% in two weeks. The fact you're going to have a volatile correction, and there are many volatile days to head. The, the range yesterday was 8%. It was up at 2-3% at one point. None of that's surprising. I think the difficulty, though, is that the volatility, the stock market moves, the turnover, the, the exuberance around the stock market has divorced itself from the economics. And ultimately, people are bullish on the market because it's going up. The fundamentals in China remain relatively weak, and the problem in China has always been the stock market performance is very divorced from the economic performance. So what you're saying, in, in fact, then, is that the market moves are not related to government words, as Stuart has suggested. Well, they're partly related. Obviously, there is a feeling that uh, the, the, there's going to be more liquidity in the marketplace, there's going to be greater reform. But the, move, the market is running well ahead of anything that the government actually has really done 
what is even promising to do. I think this is the difficulty. And when markets move, everybody knows money loves to chase rising stock markets because everyone thinks they're going to make lots of money and get out before the correction. So, yes, there's, there's government support of sorts, but the, the market is far more volatile than the government can ever hope to try and control. But one thing uh, that the government has done, you know, China said that certain lower related uh, bonds uh, can no longer be used as collateral for some short term loans. And so you have to question then whether the sell off was sparked by riskier debt spreading to government notes and stocks. Well, that's certainly true. I think this is the, the difficulty here is there is we, we're all aware of this of a complicated web of financing and collateral that is underpinning the Chinese economy at the moment. And the government is trying to clamp down on some of the, the, the worst performing credits in the economy and the local government financing vehicles, and they're pulling back on some of that debt. So the question is, how is that going to play out? I think people aren't certain because the connections aren't certain. It's not clear exactly who's been funding whom and where all the connections are that run through the economy. So there's a lot of uncertainty. Fraser, this is Stuart here, Fraser. Um, What is the uh, weight of money argument in China these days? Because uh, uh, we haven't seen a vast flow of money going in, but um, there does seem to be at least a trickle going into China by Stock Connect and through other routes. Uh, Does that have any influence on the market? I think as some, I think China is one of these, you know, sure, you'll remember as well, a decade ago, China was a market you, you may or may not be interested in. But now China is a market you must always be interested in, whether you're actively investing or not. There's always a pool of money, whether it be sitting in China or sitting offshore, offshore in China, which is always interested in getting involved as things happen there. Um, so China is always on people's radar screen. It's always the, the headlines every day. Um, it's playing some role, but I think what's interesting with Connect is there's actually been very little or pretty minimal tick-up in northbound flows with this big run-up in the past couple of weeks. The Connect, which I'm still very positive on, and I think it has been reasonably successful, um, is actually playing a, you know, a, not even a second line, but a third or fourth line role in this rally in China. Yeah, that'll be disappointing to a few people, I guess. I think it's surprising rather than anything. I was never a believer that the quotas were not big enough. I always thought there was plenty quota to to satisfy demand. I think it's surprising, though, that when you've had such a strong rally for the past couple of weeks and the ease of using the Connect, that you didn't have more Hong Kong retail punters jumping in. It would would appear easy to make so quick money, but no one seems to have uh, uh, um, bought into it. Yeah, and they haven't been taking the money out either, though, have they? Although interestingly, they have. Interestingly, yesterday morning you had the actually you had more sell orders than buy orders on the northbound flow mm. connect, which I thought was very interesting. Although it turned around in the afternoon and you ended up still having a net buying mm. yesterday. But uh, connect is, is I think I'm very positive on connect. I think it's a very it's a very different and bold move on the part of the regulators in China to allow it. Um, but it, it's far too early to really say if it's going to be a major flow a major player in the Chinese stock market. Yeah. Just too early to say. Agreed. Fraser, uh, one of the things that uh, has really been highlighted in these last two weeks with the Shanghai rally is the divergence between the Hong Kong and China stock performances. So uh, I'd love to ask you what all of this means for Hong Kong shares and when we are going to see an uptick there. Uh, yes, that, that, that's a good question. I think what we, what we have to remind, what it just shows is there are two pools of capital operating here. There is some money that operates in both but ultimately there is a, a, still a lot of liquidity in China that sits on the sidelines and is able to sort of go into the stock market when things are performing there. 
and we've seen that you know uh, 120 billion dollars of trading in in Chinese stock market on some days, just incredible numbers we've seen, and it's just independent pools. China runs to its own beat. It's not necessarily driven by fundamentals. Uh, the investment opportunities are limited in China. And so I think one of the attractions often about China is that it seems to be uncorrelated to much else that goes on in the world. And that just goes to show in the past couple of weeks. I, I think we can't read too much into it. We just have to accept that with a closed capital account and huge liquidity onshore in China, that uh, you're going to get these sorts of swings. All right, Fraser, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Fraser Howie. He's a senior director at New Edge Financial and also the author of Red Capitalism and Privatizing China. A quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is down almost 1% to 17,643. Australia's ASX index also down almost 1% to 5,206. And Seoul's Kospi is down 6 points to 1,964. The time is now 8 16 a.m. and we'll be back to talk about the Gibraltar Stock Exchange. That's right after this. The Ebola virus spreads through direct contact with the blood or bodily fluids of infected persons via broken skin or mucous membranes. It is not spread through the air or by food or water. To prevent infection, good hand hygiene is essential. Wash your hands frequently with soap and water, especially before touching your eyes, nose and mouth. Wounds should be disinfected and covered properly. For details, visit www.chp.gov.hk. Well, we all know about the references to Gibraltar as a strategic land point on the end of the Iberian Peninsula and at the entrance of the Mediterranean. The British Overseas Territory has its own stock market. Stuart Oldcroft has the story. Over to you, Stuart. And um, thank you, Renita. Just when you think you've had enough stock markets around the world, here comes another new one. And, yeah, we've uh, never had enough. Never. <laughs> Not on this show. <laughs> Not enough, right? It's good for stories. Um, Marcus Walrab is here with me. He's a co-founder of the uh, stock exchange in Gibraltar. So, Marcus, perhaps you could just introduce it to us. Uh, good morning, Stuart, and thank you very much for having me on the show this morning. Um, yes, the Gibraltar, uh, I think one of the most important things to understand about Gibraltar is that um, it is in the EU and it is fully compliant with all EU regulations. So a, a stock market uh, such as ours, which was launched on the 10th of October, um, we specialise particularly in uh, collect- uh, listing of collective investment schemes. So open, ra- rather than individual companies, is that? Absolutely. Yep. Um, so funds, really, open-ended funds to start with, and we will be also uh, listing closed-ended funds, hopefully by the middle of next year. So typically, the, the type of funds that are pe- people in Hong Kong are getting marketed to them by their banks and their financial advisors are called USIT products. They're generally um, listed in Luxembourg or Dublin. So your objective is to compete against those two jurisdictions. Is Absolutely. That it? If you think of it uh, very much like a David and Goliath. Yes. Um, that's well, exactly that's what, what Ireland is. thought it was against Luxembourg, didn't it? So, Absolutely. So where do you come in as the stone? Well, well <laughs> <laughs> with any luck, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and what, what's been the reaction so far since you announced the launch? I think the reaction's been very positive, um, especially over here in Asia. Um, we've just come back from a trip uh, to Singapore where we've met with some of the uh, top funds lawyers there and they've been very positive. 
positive uh, as well as uh, here in Hong Kong and also in America the reaction's been in- incredibly uh, incredibly positive and and we look forward to, to listing a lot of um, funds from over there. And so why would a fund company go to Gibraltar rather than Dublin or Luxembourg? Well I think I think the USPs really from our point of view is we've looked at uh, what Luxembourg and Dublin have done in the past and we wanted to provide a better service to the fund itself mm. um, and in so doing uh, we wanted to provide a speedier access to market. That's been one of the, Gibraltar's key messages. Um, so apart from being in the EU we also get you to market in a timely fashion. So that's the first thing. And the second thing that we've looked at is is the investor access to funds. A lot of investors um, are looking around for funds, don't really know where to look. We found uh, um, an interesting way of doing that within our exchange. And, and being part of the EU, that means that once a fund is in Gibraltar, it can be marketed anywhere within the EU. Well, it doesn't give you a listing. Doesn't give you the passport. Mm. I think that's very int- that's very important to uh, to understand. A listing is is purely a presence in the EU. It's a foot an EU footprint that's compliant with the EU regulations, but it doesn't necessarily give you the passport to market into Europe. Yeah. And and clearly, the stock exchange will be working with the regulator in Gibraltar. We have a very um, strong relationship with our regulator. We've been working with them mm-hmm. for the last two and a half years. Years. And um, we we pride ourselves really on on our having that strong relationship with them, so that we can bring um, we can bring uh, funds to market quickly. Yep. So, Marcus, a quick question for Hong Kong investors: uh, How can we sort of gain access to this? Where do we go? You know, to buy to invest. You know, how how, how can we operate here? Well, the the buying is actually done at the fund or at the administrator level. We will provide you the access to those funds through our portal, which is www.gsx.gi. So if you go there, you'll you'll be able to sign in and and to see and and to see the the listed funds I mean, we've only started on the 10th of october so there aren't any funds at the moment but we we have um we have we will have about 10 member firms by the end of this year which is which is quite extraordinary for for an exchange of our of our size so it's a good startup it is it's it's a very good indication of the of the support that we're getting from from not only private sector in Gibraltar but also the government. Mm. And so you'd expect to be uh, up and running, ready for investment. What would you say, the first quarter of next year, or is yes. that too early? Well, uh, yes, I mean, we we should we should have some listed funds by the first quarter of, of next year, which investors will be able to search on, look at, and then reach out to the manager through our portal. Yes. So, as an investor who's trying to diversify their portfolio, I mean, you've put together some some good points. But what is the case? Uh, for me to invest in Gibraltar. <laughs> well, you're not actually investing in Gibraltar. I think it's very uh, important. Facilitating. It, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's very important to understand that the funds that we will be listing um, will be uh, probably anything but Gibraltar. We set this up uh, so that funds from that are managed out of Hong Kong, London, New York, who might be domiciled in the Cayman Islands, for example, um, which is a key uh, funds domicile jurisdiction, we'll be listing those funds um, rather than Gibraltar funds. But what you're doing is going to be benefiting from the European Union regulatory environment as opposed to a Cayman environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you'd regard that as being a more valuable uh, imprint? It, it, it is indeed, certainly for... Um, for European investors, they want to they want to know that uh, it has some sort of European. Presence. Are you likely to get more hedge funds than traditional funds go to Gibraltar? Almost definitely. Yeah. We're looking at the alternative space, mm. um, anything from a billion dollars under management and mm. below. Right. So, Marcus, what about investors who have tax issues around the world, the U.S. passport holders, and so forth? I mean, nothing's 
going to be any different for them, is it? Well, n- no, not really. Uh, in fact, on our disclaimer, when you sign into our site, you'll have to, um, you'll have to check a disclaimer box. Um, and that disclaimer uh, at the moment specifically states that you, you cannot be a US resident or national. So, Renita, that's going to invalidate you at this point, I guess. Oh, I'm from India. I <laughs> uh, will accept you. Validated or invalidated already. <laughs> thank you. I'm happy to be accepted. All right. Thank you for joining us this morning. That is Marcus Walrob, and he is the director and co-founder of the Gibraltar Stock Exchange. Thank you. Well, the demand for data center services is on the rise in Asia. Hong Kong is expected to undergo double-digit compound annual growth through 2019. This is according to accepted forecasts. Let's introduce uh, Alex Tam. He is the Managing Director of Equinix Hong Kong. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. So, Alex, uh, tell us why the demand for data centers is rising specifically in Hong Kong. Uh, I would say that uh, there are two major trends. One is the, the adoption of the uh, digital content and social media. As you can see, that uh, everyone using their mobile phone is not really for conversation. Instead, it's more for the social media applications. And the other major uh, reasons is because of the adoption of the cloud services. And we can see that over the last 12 months' times, uh, more and more global cloud service providers established their uh, service hub in Hong Kong. Okay, so a few different things there. I mean, firstly, obviously, we're talking about a lot of data, but in a place like Hong Kong, where there isn't necessarily a lot of space, where are these servers housed? Well, uh, right now, uh, most of these, uh, because of the lack of space in Hong Kong, that's the reason uh, most companies decide not to uh, establish their IT infrastructures in, uh, internally or in-house. Instead, they will outsource these uh, uh, infra- IT infrastructures to service providers like Equinix. And where are Equinix's data servers housed? Uh, uh, we actually is located in the uh, industrial areas. The reason is because of that we need uh, plenty of supply of electricity, and this is the benefit uh, in those uh, uh, industrial areas. So what is actually involved in sort of a location which houses these servers? You need a lot of electricity to keep uh, equipment cool, uh, a lot of electricity needed to generate the equipment in the first place. You know, tell us um, more. Yes, both for cooling and also for the IT use uh, in the data centers, they are talking about thousands or ten thousands of uh, service equipments and that all consumes electricity and to keep this equipment running then you need to have the cooling and uh, all this uh, consumes uh, much uh, electric power would this be held in hong kong or will that be in china well it depends on the customers uh, uh, applications and uh, f- Hong Kong, the reason is that uh, most people uh, choose Hong Kong because Hong Kong is the financial hub yeah. and also the well-established infrastructure. But if, but if you need vast supply of electricity, it's a little bit cheaper in China than it is in Hong Kong, isn't it? Well, uh, electricity is just one consideration. The other is uh, the uh, well-established infrastructures like the uh, power mm. infrastructures, mm. Uh, telecommunication infrastructures, mm. and also the well-established legal infrastructure. So, so then the next question becomes the security risk, doesn't yeah. it? And how does that get uh, played out? Well, actually, this is uh, 
the reasons that uh, our company launched the cloud exchange initiative this year. Uh, most people concerned about security uh, when they adopt cloud, and uh, uh, the reasons because uh, the delivery of the cloud services through the internet, and there's concern on security, reliability, and performance. And we uh, deploy the cloud exchange service uh, is to enable all these customers to have a private interconnections. And at the same time, they, this can be a seamless on-demand connections between the enterprise customers as well as the cloud service providers. Okay, so we've got location, we've got security, and then uh, based on what you say about uh, the electricity needs, I can't imagine that this would be very environmentally friendly. I know that uh, uh, companies like Google in the U.S. and others like that have made a big push for uh, in, you know, environmentally friendly data server locations. Is there such a thing in Hong Kong? Uh, I don't agree with that because uh, for there's a, a, a misunderstanding that uh, some data center consumes a lot of power. But if you can imagine, it's, uh, we, um, uh, um, uh, just like an uh, MTL, you, c- you can consider uh, in terms of the environmental friendliness, uh, an M- uh, MTL train will be much more uh, environmental friendly than talking about thousands of private cars in the road. <laughs> But we need to use the MTR to get from one place to the other, whereas social media, we're just chatting, right? Well, uh, exactly the same is uh, because uh, we host all the servers in the same locations instead of spreading those uh, servers all around Hong Kong. So that's the reason there's an economy of scales and also to be more user-friendly or environmental-friendly. Okay, that was just my cynical self. I thought that sounded like you keep your social media contacts. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right, Alex, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Alex Tam, and he is the Managing Director of Equinix HK. Thanks. Thank you. A quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is uh, now down 1.3% to uh, 17,578. Australia's ASX index down 38 points to 5,219. And Seoul's down 12 points to 1,958. In currencies, the euro is currently trading at 1.23 US dollars. One US dollar buys you 119 yen. And one pound sterling buys you 12 Hong Kong dollars and 15 cents. Brent crude oil is currently at $66.84 and gold is at $1,228.60 per ounce. So here we are once again at the end of the program. Uh, Stuart, any sort of quick words of wisdom before we depart? Yeah, just keep watching that oil price. I'm watching it going down, what, 40% now in the last few months. It's uh, quite good. Yeah. Five-year low, we're going lower. Yes, I think it's going to be quite enticing. Also, the dollar is going up in value against other currencies. Uh, we're, we're all right in Hong Kong for that. Yeah, OK. <laughs> well, uh, we've been saying this for a while. and uh, have indeed. Let's see if that changes. Thank you so much for joining us this You're morning. You're welcome. That's Stuart Aldcroft of City Investor Services, and I'm Renita Malhotrahora, wrapping up for Money for Nothing. A quick look at the weather forecast for today. It'll be cloudy with a few rain patches. The maximum temperature will be about 21 degrees Celsius with moderate to fresh east to northeasterly winds. The temperature right now is 19 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 77%. And here's Sam Butler with the news.
The police say they'll clear the whole occupied protest site in Admiralty tomorrow, even though a court injunction only relates to certain stretches of road. The bus company granted the order, says bailiffs will move in at 9am, backed by police. The police have urged people not to go to the site tomorrow, but the leader of the Federation of Students, Alex Chow, has called on protesters to return to Admiralty to show they're willing to accept the legal consequences of taking part in the civil disobedience campaign. For his part, Joshua Wong, the convener of the student activist group Scholarism, urged protesters to remain peaceful when the site is cleared. Scholarism will still persist on the principle principle of peace and non-violence. We will not like to attack the policemen, throw anything to hurt them. Because if we are involving in the civil disobedience, we would not like to try to attack others. A report by the United States Senate has strongly criticized the CIA's use of controversial interrogation methods, describing them as brutal and ineffective. The report said detainees were deprived of sleep, humiliated and beaten. The chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Dianne Feinstein, said claims made by the CIA were unfounded. Even if one were to set aside all of the moral arguments... Our review was a meticulous and detailed examination of records. It finds that coercive interrogation techniques did not produce the vital, otherwise unavailable intelligence the CIA has claimed. The UN's refugee agency says Western countries have promised to increase the number of Syrian refugees they'll accept following a meeting.